0: Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you want to impart to us today. We thank you that you're teaching us concerning this wonderful attribute of your mercy. We open our hearts to your Holy Spirit and we say, come and have your way. Come and activate us into this new dimension of revelation, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And it is indeed a new dimension of revelation. And I say this because when you look at creation... You can learn so much about God, but when you want to really grasp his mercy, he has to reveal it to you. And so we're going to be talking about the merciful God. And I promise you, if you grasp this, it really takes you places in the spirit. There are a few words in scripture that describe what is translated into English as the word mercy. All right. And some of these words express something more holistic. And in this study, it's important for us to actually unpack this. In the Greek, it's the word Elios, right? And then the more common Hebrew words are the words Shemla or Kemla, and then Shanan or Hanan, which is usually translated into grace. And then the word Chesed, and that's the word we're gonna be using quite a lot. And uh, these are seen in Genesis 19, 16, 19, and 21. It's speaking about the time when Lot was, in a sense, liberated from Sodom. It says, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand. Remember, he was rescued by angels. It says, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. Isn't it interesting that although he was hesitating, right, the men or the angels grabbed his hands? I think that's that's quite something. You know, there are times when we're not even intending to do what God says we must do, but he still rescues us. And it says, For the Lord was merciful to them. And then it goes on to say, Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me, you see, and that's a different word, that's the word kindness, which is that word chemla, right, to me, in sparing my life, so the word favor there is that word which we usually translate to grace, hanan, right, and then you have shown great kindness to me, and that's the word hesed, all right, that's being used there, and then he was merciful, to them. That's the word chemla. So all three of these words are being used in this particular context, right? Uh, And you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I will die. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request to you too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. So he wanted to reach a particular town, which they ended up calling Zoa. He wanted to reach that particular town because he didn't want to flee the whole distance. And this angel said, okay, it's fine. We will do that. That is mercy. That is mercy. That is kindness. So those three words are used there. Your servant has found favor in your eyes. You've shown great kindness to me and says the Lord was merciful to them. But I want to uh, emphasize throughout this word chesed because I think it's very powerful. It's a covenantal word. So throughout this study, we will discuss both God's mercy towards mankind and the mercy of people toward other people. This is one of God's moral attributes as it were because uh, he says he is merciful, but he also expects us to be merciful right? And it's, uh, it's a quality that we can also walk in to some degree. And we see God's mercy in this passage as he's the initiator of the covenant, okay? Lot didn't go out seeking after God. God was the initiator. In fact, uh, Lot was hesitant to leave Sodom, right? We see this with Adam, where God shows his mercy to Adam. We see it with Noah. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Isaac. We see it with Jacob. Look at Jacob's nature, right? The word Jacob, the name Jacob actually means supplanter, deceiver. But God reached out to him and transformed him. That's his mercy. God's mercy is the foundation of the covenant that he makes with his people. And very often it's used uh, very interchangeably with words like kindness, with words like grace. But I'm going to focus on mercy. Mercy. Uh, and when we look at these three different words—kindness, grace, and mercy—they're used interchangeably, but they're actually quite distinct and can stand on their own. And if you study some of our languages, uh, in you know different languages that we have, you find that we also distinguish between these uh, these words. You know, so the Hebrew word that is more commonly used in the Old Testament is this word Chesed, and the word speaks of mercy. It speaks of kindness, it speaks of favor, and it speaks of goodness. It's a very strong covenantal word that is sometimes translated covenant love. In some trans- translations, you'll see it written steadfast love. He is Committed to show us love and kindness. It's a commitment he's made because that's his nature. He's a loving God. And so he ends up merciful toward us despite ourselves. He's faithful toward us despite our unfaithfulness. So he continues to show us this love even when we are doing the opposite. And that's his mercy. It's difficult, therefore, to talk about God's mercy without discussing his faithfulness. You see, mercy in scripture also speaks of a readiness to help those in trouble. So when it says show mercy to others, it's a readiness to help those in trouble in the same way that God is ready to help us when we are in trouble. You know, uh, mercy is very intrinsic to who God is and his mercy cannot be exhausted. That's the other unique thing about God. You know, with us, we reach a point. With people right where we can't do anything else but his mercy cannot be exhausted in second samuel chapter 24 verse 14 david said to gad you know david had been given this option right uh what do you want to happen do you want to fall into the hands of your enemy what do you want you know as your punishment and david said to gad i am in deep distress let us fall into the hands of the lord for his mercy is great but do not let me fall into human hands. So that's the unique thing about God's mercy. It's great, it's great. And throughout scripture, you see this. It's not just God being described as merciful, but it's your mercies are great, you know? In the book of uh, Lamentations, it talks about how his, his mercies are new every morning. That's the unique thing. And it's recognized in scripture here by David that God's mercies are far greater than man's mercies. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. OK, his mercies never fail. Can You see that word is often translated compassion. Okay? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, this is speaking of the self-sufficiency of God, the assayity of God. He doesn't run out of what he has because he's his own source. Okay, So he, has, he doesn't have to go somewhere else to find this mercy, to pour mercy onto us. Okay, um, He's got enough of it himself. Okay, And it's important to understand his eternal nature here, that uh, he doesn't run out. His eternal nature is such that everything about him is infinite. Okay, There's infinite love, infinite forgiveness, infinite mercy. That's this great God that we've come to know. In the book of Psalms uh, 25 verse 6, it says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Isn't that powerful? The psalmist here recognizes that God is a merciful God and he always has been merciful. He didn't just start being merciful yesterday. And, you know, the way we pray changes when we get a grasp of this. All right. Uh, We're able to intercede in a very powerful way. If you look at the intercessory ministry of people like Nehemiah, people like Abraham. People like Moses, they appealed to his loving kindness. They appealed to the mercies of God. You see, a lot of people are trying to intercede on behalf of other people, but they don't have a revelation of the fact that God is a merciful God. You see, God's mercy is at another level. It's not the same as how we tend to show mercy to one another. We tend to show mercy towards those we like or those with whom we have a close relationship you know, in Proverbs 12, verse 10, this is where you see how wicked man is. It says, the righteous care for the needs of their animals. That's a good thing. Care for the needs of your animals. But the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. All right. All right. So man is not primarily described as merciful, but God is. The driving force behind God's relationship with Israel was actually his mercy. And we see this throughout scripture You know, but notice how justice is also included here. Very often mercy and justice go hand in hand. Yet today, when we talk about God being merciful, people then exclude the justice part. No, they go hand in hand. And I'm gonna share with you a bit more about this uh, just now. But just just look how justice is included here. In Hosea chapter two, verse 19, I'm gonna read from the ESV. And I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness, and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. That is the nature of God's covenant with his people Israel. You see, his mercy was demonstrated by his loyalty towards them. He was committed to love them despite their resistance and their inconsistency. In Joel 2.13, it says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger And abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity that's how he related to his children and that's how he relates to us today but the command was return to him return to him you don't return to him if you don't have that revelation that he's merciful that he's abounding in love you know doesn't just operate in love an average amount but he's abounding in love he's compassionate he's slow to anger God's mercy doesn't always look fair simply because he chooses who you'll be merciful to. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, speaking to Moses when Moses wanted to see his glory, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. And then he goes on to say something interesting that almost looks unrelated. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And you see our human nature struggles with this because we we think mercy is deserved. We think when someone does well in life, it's because of what they've done. And so when we see someone who hasn't lived a great life and then we see God being merciful toward them, we think, no, but God isn't being fair. But Lord, I do this, I do that. And then we become self-righteous. But God says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy to and that's what he's done for you and so when he does these great things in your life when he redeems you when he rescues you just be careful that you don't become self righteous trying to look at your track record and say oh it's because of this good thing I did and then you get the glory instead of God it's so important. It's also important to point out that God's mercy is not blind, and it will still occur in the context of judgment and discipline. This is so crucial. So he's merciful toward us, but he still disciplines us. In Zechariah 1 12 says, then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So, They experienced periods of discipline, periods of God withholding his mercy, as it were. It's important to understand that mercy will occur in the context also of judgment and also of discipline. Uh, If you look at the journey that the children of Israel went through with God, you can identify with this in your own life. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 9 verses uh, 17, verse 19 and verse 31, just look at the pattern. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the the way that they were to take. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So at a certain point, they experienced God's mercy. And that's why the Bible tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy will triumph over judgment. Does it mean that we won't experience the consequences of our sin? Does it mean we won't go through times of discipline? We will, but mercy triumphs over judgment. When you have a revelation of this attribute of God, you're able to intercede effectively. You're able to intercede effectively. When I know God is merciful to this person, I will pray in a certain way. And we see this with Nehemiah. We see it with Abraham. We see it with Moses as they stood in the gap. They appealed to God's mercies. They appealed to God's mercies. And sometimes it's just interesting the way you see God dealing with these people where he is about to do something and his wrath is about to be expressed and these guys will just stand in the gap. And God would be like, okay, okay. As we embrace God's mercy, we must never trivialize it. And very often people do this, they trivialize. God's mercy. They treat God like he's this grandfather. You know how grandparents are with grandkids. You know, they see the children's naughtiness as cute. Oh, it's cute. It's cute. God doesn't. God doesn't see sin as cute. He's grieved by it because he's a holy God. He's a perfect God. And when we understand that he's got high standards and he's grieved by our sin, then we appreciate his mercy all the more. He's not okay with sin. He's not okay with our faithlessness, right? Um, And that's important to understand that our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And we recognize, when we recognize just how holy God is, we discover the magnitude of his mercy when he forgives us, you see. If you think someone is okay with what you've just done, when you say sorry to them and they say, "Ah, it's fine, then it's not a big deal. But when you understand that someone is completely against what you've just done, when you repent, when you turn from that wickedness, you're so appreciative of their mercy. And that's important. You see, we live in a generation that's characterized by a mindset that says things like, I like sinning. God likes forgiving. So the world is a very, is a very well set up place, right? Right. That's our mindset very often in this generation. God's mercy must always be viewed in the context of his wrath. And people don't like talking about this, but his mercy must always be viewed in the context of his wrath. You see, there's his wrath that is about to be expressed, but he then changes his mind as it were because of his mercy, especially when there's intercession that has taken place. And that's what we see happening in this account of God's salvation. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through to 20. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the, gospel, for, the for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. Isn't that awesome? Okay, that's a revelation of righteousness, but often we leave it there and we don't go to verse 18, which says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." And that's the context of the gift of his salvation. That's the context, is that his wrath is being revealed, but also his righteousness is being revealed. And those of us who turn to Christ and make him our righteousness, okay, the wrath of God will not affect us. But those who reject the gospel of grace, the gospel of uh, the kingdom of God, guess what ends up happening? We're exposed his wrath we should only understand his mercy in the context of his wrath now let's examine moses receiving the commandments from the lord and how god reveals himself as merciful god in the context of establishing covenant in exodus chapter 32 i'm going to read from verses 1 through to 14 when the people saw that moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us a God, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. So they had been commanded by the Lord that you can't do this. You know, don't create any graven image, right? Don't create any idols. But they went ahead and did it. And God says, go down and check this out because these people have become corrupt. Now, what is God's response to their corruption? Verse eight, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your God's Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. Verse nine, I have seen these people the Lord said to Moses, and there are stiff-necked people. Now look at verse 10. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Okay, now leave me alone. He's probably meaning don't intercede on their behalf. I will work with you, Moses. I will make you a great nation. But look what Moses did. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. He was basically crying out to God for mercy because he knew that he's a merciful God. And we have to understand that mercy in the context of his wrath, he was going to destroy these people. He was going to destroy these people. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, right? He's crying out for mercy, but in the context of turn from your wrath, turn from your fierce anger. People say, oh, God never gets angry. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring this disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, right? To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Look what's happening here. he was appealing to God as a merciful God based on covenant, and that's what Hesed is it's covenantal, your steadfast love, Lord, you've been merciful from old exodus thirty four one to seven look what then happens. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. be ready in the morning and then come. Up on Mount Sinai, present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, watch this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. (coughs) What's powerful for me is God making known his name, making known who he is. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And faithfulness we can appeal to his mercies there's a place in God where we ought to cry out to God for his mercy there's a lot we see about God through creation but when it comes to apprehending his mercy it needs to be revealed to us so that we can run into the throne of grace the Bible says where we can receive mercy in time of need how many of you right now need the mercies of God How many of you now need the mercies of God? Cry out to God. You see, there's this mercy that we receive when it comes to our salvation. But guess what? We need his mercy in everyday life. We need his mercy in everyday life so that we are sustained by his grace, sustained by his kindness, his acts of kindness. We need to cry out for his mercy. How does his mercy show up in the scriptures? If you look at Matthew chapter five, verse seven, it says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Do you know that Jesus expects us to be merciful? And and he shows us that it actually comes with a reward that when we are merciful, guess what? We are shown mercy. There are degrees of mercy that can be shown. And we seem to have more mercy shown to us when we too are merciful. I don't know about you, but I need mercy. I need this chesed. I need his goodness to manifest in my life, his kindness to manifest in my life. So guess what? I want to show that to others. Now, in Matthew 18, 21 through to 35, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, complete mercy. That's that number seven, right? And it's being reinforced, complete, perfect mercy, just like God is merciful toward us. So Jesus has this high standard of mercy and he's saying, guys, you should also do the same. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. That's mercy. Canceled the debt and let him go. That's mercy. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants. So he had mercy shown to him, right? But then he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, right? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, the amount that this guy owed his master was a lot. But this servant now goes... And he's saying, pay me back, pay me back to his fellow servant who owed him a lot less, right? So he had been shown mercy, but he wasn't showing mercy, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? In anger, wrath, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, people will say, but God isn't like that. God isn't like that. God never gets angry. No, not God. Well, here's Jesus and he shares us this parable to teach us this principle. And he says in verse 35, he teaches us. He actually shows us what the parable actually means. He says, this is how my heavenly father, not some angel, my heavenly father, Who's not a sugar daddy up in heaven. My heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let me tell you something. It's a serious thing from God's perspective when he's shown you mercy and you can't show mercy to someone else. Okay. God's mercy is so closely linked to his forgiveness. Mercy finds itself repeatedly forgiving, repeatedly forgiving. And you see, you can forgive someone. It doesn't mean that you have to now trust them with all your life. Sometimes you have to have emotional boundaries. If someone uh, cheats on you multiple times and so on, I'm not saying just be, you know, this person who's gullible and like, okay, carry on doing it, but you still forgive them from your heart as you've been forgiven. All right. And you know, Jesus practiced what he preached, you know, and he demonstrated mercy towards mankind and towards those who were mocking him right? You see that when he was on the cross and you see that mercy is often linked to the degree to which we can sympathize with people. And why I say sympathize and also to empathize is this is what Jesus did in Luke 23 verse 34. It says, Jesus said, father, forgive them for they know not. They do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Isn't that amazing? So these people were mocking Jesus. These soldiers were mocking Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Father, forgive them mercy for they don't know what they're doing. Empathy, sympathy. He could, he was like, these guys actually don't know. They're doing it in ignorance. So Lord, forgive them. Isn't that amazing? In the same way that he did that, in the same way that he forgave you and showed you mercy when you were sinning in your ignorance, Do so also to others. Question, when someone hurts you, ask yourself what you would have done if you had been raised in the same conditions as them, if you had gone to the same school, if you had been under the same influence. Maybe you're only living how you're living right now because by God's grace, by God's mercy, he rescued you and he put people around you who taught you the right way. What if that had never happened? maybe you'd be far worse than those people you're judging today. If you had been told all your life, since childhood, that that particular group of people over there, they're inferior and don't trust them, and you'd been brainwashed with that since childhood. Let me ask you a question. How easy would it be for you to break out of that prejudice? And I'm not excusing prejudice, but I'm just saying, sometimes we're more merciful when we can empathize with people. Empathize, empathy comes from the word uh, the Latin M and pathos, which literally means feeling into, feeling into, wearing someone else's moccasins, we're then more gracious and more merciful. How difficult would it be for you to renew your mind concerning certain things like prejudice and certain biases you have, right? How difficult would it be for you to renew your mind if that's all you'd been brainwashed with all your life? And you see, when we begin to understand these things, we begin to show mercy to people who struggle in certain areas. We're called to be conscious of the fact that we have been recipients of God's mercy. In Zechariah 7 verse verse 9, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. And what I like about Stephen, the first martyr, he followed Jesus' example by doing something similar, you see. And this, this actually is how mercy can be extended to other people. In Acts chapter 7, 59 to 60, they were stoning Stephen. It says that they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Isn't that amazing? Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Are there certain people we should be crying out to God and just saying, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Lord, have mercy on this particular person. I've had situations where I've been falsely accused or I've been treated in a particular way. And there've been times when I've cried out, Lord, have mercy on person X, have mercy on person Y. You know, they're operating in ignorance. Have mercy on them. I believe we're called to cry out to God for mercy on behalf of other people. When you recognize that you've been shown mercy, you're more likely to be merciful Ask God to show you how merciful he has been to you. Ask him to show you how merciful he's been to you. You see, we're called to have hearts where mercy dwells. The Bible talks about that, having a heart where mercy dwells. Being merciful is a heart condition. My question to you is, what is your heart's bias? Is it mercy or is it judgment? What's your heart's bias? Is it mercy or is it judgment? You see, there is a mercy. There's mercy we've received and there's mercy that we will receive. And when we are expecting mercy, there's a way in which we live. If you look at Jude 21, uh, it says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. When you're expecting mercy, there's a way you treat other people. Right? There's a way you treat other people. There's a mercy we've already received and there's a mercy we're expecting to receive in everyday life. And also when we ultimately get our resurrected bodies, we're still expecting that mercy to be shown. You see, we are not called, and let me just qualify this because we're not called to show blind, unsanctified mercy to everyone. For example, in Jude 23, uh, it says, save others, By snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So there's a way in which we show mercy to some, and to others, we treat in a different manner. You see, so this is the case of unsanctified mercy. Some people will show unsanctified mercy. They'll be merciful where God isn't being merciful, you see. Uh, There are times when people will pardon someone who's dangerous to society, all right? Not, we haven't been required to show mercy in that particular situation. Yes, we want the person to come to salvation. Yes, we cry out for the saving of their soul. But there are times where we have to follow through with certain things. And you see it throughout the New Testament where Paul the Apostle would have to say, you know what, with this person, I'm handing him over to the Lord. The Lord will deal with them because this person was hindering the furtherance of the gospel. Right. And so it's important to actually understand that our default is mercy, but there are cases where we must not show unsanctified mercy. It's important to understand that. okay? And sometimes this is actually the overuse of a strength. If you want to know what your weaknesses are, look at the overuse of some of your strengths. And very often we're very merciful, but we don't exercise discipline when we ought to discipline someone for something that they've done. Or sometimes when we ought to report someone for a criminal offense. All right. So it's not blind mercy and it's not unsanctified mercy. And just remember that sometimes showing mercy can actually expose others to danger. So we need to be preserving life mercy is a virtue that we can extend to others based on appreciation of the acts of kindness that those people have actually shown in history, right? So for example, I remember there was a time when uh, someone who used to work with my father, who had been promoted years ago by my father, came to me and said, Paul, this was years ago, for your first book, I would like to have it printed. The person owned a printing company and they said, I would do the printing when you do your first book. That's what motivated me to do my first book, actually. It's like, oh, free printing. And I printed lots of copies free of charge. And this person said, I want to do this for you because of the kindness your father showed me years ago in being instrumental to my development. Okay? And we see this type of thing in scripture. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, 16 through to 18. May the Lord show mercy. Look what Paul says. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's the mercy we look forward to. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. I find myself doing this there's certain people who've shown me kindness in the past and it's so easy to show kindness to their children it's not tit for tat it's not you scratch my back i scratch yours it's just that in a heart full of gratitude concerning kind acts that someone has done blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. I'm crying out to God for you. Lord, may you show them mercy. Look at their kindness that they've displayed. And the New Testament apostles, we see that they were so passionate about mercy that they would open so many of their letters by extending mercy. It wasn't just peace that they greeted you with. It wasn't just shalom, right? It wasn't just grace they greeted you with, right? But they also released mercy. In 2 John uh, Three, it says, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, from um, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. And that word grace is the word in the New Testament, charis, in the Greek. And mercy is Elios, which I mentioned earlier on. And peace is Eirene. So they were releasing charis, Elios, and Eirene. You also see the case of David and Jonathan's son, in uh, it's so classic when it comes to mercy being extended based on covenant in 2nd Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 12 David asked is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zeba they summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him are you Zeba At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabah. So King David had him brought from Lodabah, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness, mercy for the sake of your father, Jonathan. It was covenantal. It wasn't random, it was covenantal. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, extending kindness. Kindness comes out of mercy. That belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mercy. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward. And said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. Right. And he goes on and he's talking about what ended up taking place. I think it's amazing. And then you go through. And you see how he lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And it's emphasized again because it's not about the outward appearance. It's showing that this was mercy. This was mercy. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24, 3 to 7, this is so interesting. This is showing what David did when he spared Saul's life. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscious stricken, conscience stricken stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe he said to his men the lord forbid that i should do such a thing to my master the lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for he is the anointed of the lord with these words david sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack saul and saul left the cave and went his way You see, you will show others mercy when you have a revelation that it's God who actually promotes you, you see. And we see this with David and Saul. David waited for God to raise him up instead of trying to destroy Saul. He showed mercy, you see, to Saul. And David showed how mercy is not merely based on how they've treated you because Saul treated him badly. But look what he ends up doing for Saul's grandson. Look what he ends up doing to Saul himself and he spares his life. You see, mercy is more to do with recognizing how God has dealt with you, right? Rather than how other people have treated you. So my question to you is, how do you react when someone is shown mercy? For example, look at the case of the big brother in the parable of the prodigal son. What did he do? He became critical of his father, and he also became judgmental towards his brother, and he became self-righteous, self-promoting, and conceited. And you see, these are common reactions to observing someone else being shown mercy. How come that's happening? But what about me? What did I, but look what I did. Look how good I am. When God is merciful toward people, let's celebrate it. Because he's been merciful toward us. In conclusion, let's make a commitment today. Firstly, to praise God for the mercies that he shows us that are new every morning. Secondly, let's cry out to him to receive his mercy and his grace in times of need. And thirdly, let's extend mercy when we need to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word and I thank you for transforming our lives. Come and have your way now and come and help us, Lord, to walk in mercy even as you have shown us mercy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you.